Welcome everybody back to the Behind the Well show. I'm here with Jonas Everett today. We're here to kind of help everybody figure out how to build their own personal wealth, educate and inspire people. Um, we've done a couple of really nice shows, Jonas. You're looking forward to today's. It's probably going to hit home to a lot of people out there. Uh, but but the, today's show's topic is going to be the money lessons that we can learn from COVID-19. And this is pretty uh, dramatic and um, challenging time that we've ever seen financially for a lot of people. This is a very real thing. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, this is uh, where uh, um, you really, you know, I really enjoy being a financial advisor and helping households manage their wealth especially during times of crisis is you want you want to uh, you want to be able to have some type of a game plan when you have a terrible health crisis and really it's you know to start things off it, it it's we've never seen anything like this before and but really the bad news is we've had three crises since 2000 we had a terror crisis in 2001 we had a financial crisis in 2008 where um, we were about a seven to ten business days away a lot of people don't realize in the financial crisis we were seven to ten business days away from the entire financial system crumbling um, there were uh, two of the major banks um, almost ready to fail and if they didn't accept loans from the government uh, then, uh, then we would have been in, in bad shape. And then we have this year's terrible uh, health cri crisis. But there are some lessons to be learned uh, from, uh, from this health crisis. And uh, I think there are some really very, very good financial lessons that we can, uh, we can go over with people that they can, they can almost, in a way, Roger, almost take advantage um, of a crisis year in the markets and uh, maybe get their finances prepared for the future a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> we've never seen anything like this. If you think back to the end of last year, and I would have told you these statistics, Jonas, I don't think anybody would have believed this could have happened, but 15.9 million Americans became unemployed in April 2020. 15.9 million people lost their jobs. And not because of choice, right? It was because governments and municipalities and um, states asked people, hey, stay home to help get this under control. Um, our unemployment peaked at about 14.4%. Um, the stock market had its largest one-week decline since 2008. Um, federal balance sheets expanded by over seven trillion dollars and what that really means is people have printed or the government has printed about seven trillion dollars to keep to keep the financial system solvent keep people living their daily lives and not lose everything that they've spent a lifetime to build because of a virus um so one of the major lessons and we're going to talk about all the all the lessons that we can take away from this and how to kind of better set ourselves up for the future. But there's really five primary lessons, right? And the first one is that emergency funds are really important. You know, we've all heard we should have an emergency fund and, you know, it's a good thing to have this money set away when there's emergency. But right now, more than ever, people that didn't have funds set away are really hurting with the level of unemployment where it is. Most people are dependent either upon the debt that they're able to get, right? If they have open credit somewhere or 
the government to get them a check. And, and we're, you know, four months into this and some of those government checks got quickly and some didn't, some didn't get the, the, the funds that they needed. Um, and crazily people in America, only 59% of people in America have a thousand dollars in their emergency fund. And there's a lot of pundits that suggest getting a thousand dollars before you get out of debt. And I kind of take a different approach. You better have that money saved before you start worrying about paying off the debt. Otherwise you're going right back into the spot you came from. A thousand dollars just doesn't go very far. How long would that lasted somebody who lost their job during this pandemic, Jonas? Well, it's almost like uh, when you have a crisis year like this, uh, it makes you realize if you were acting like a financial adult the whole time, or if you were acting like a financial child um, or a financial teenager, because if 59% of Americans can't get a hold of a thousand bucks in an in a uh, emergency fund um, and they do lose their job, then they're really not acting like a financial adult. Um, and uh, it uh, it's a it's it's a tough pill to swallow for people. But uh, it, if you can't, with the different ways that you can automatically save money, even even savings accounts now. You could have your credit union automatically deduct some money from your bank, and you could have <laughs> did that five years ago, and it could have been $20 a month, and you could have had an emergency fund. So, um, again, I think we're talking about people uh, that, that should and need to start acting like economic adults, um, and it starts with an emergency fund. And uh, we really, Roger, we really won't invest money for people unless they have at least six months of their salary or in my case six months of their living expenses in in some kind of a emergency fund a bucket number one and that's just that's just the rainy day fund right there in the event something like a crisis happens which we have right now yeah and you know it's kind of funny the average american's monthly expenses are fifty one hundred dollars that's on average now some are more some are less but the fact that they have a thousand bucks is just mind-boggling it means they last less than a week if something happened. Um, and, and start to think about all of the the things that cost more than $1,000. So this is how I think about emergency fund. I don't try to put, you know, you do it one way, and I, and I agree with that. But I, I think about all the expenses that could happen as kind of the baseline before I start doing a whole lot, whole lot else. And the baseline is some of the things that can happen. An average emergency room visits $1,400 ballpark. A new furnace is $3,800. Your car deductible, add, start adding these things up. It's five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000. So first thing we need to do is get your baseline in there, right? Make sure we have enough to cover at least three things at one time. And the reason I say three things is typically what happens. Catastrophes happen, happen in threes. <laughs> so figure out the three things that are most likely to happen to you and get those emergency funds and then built in, build into that three to six months. The old adage, cash is king, cash is king more than ever. Um, so how can we start an emergency fund? And this is pretty simple and you hit on it, but just start small and work your way up. Um, you talked about intrabank transfers. I still do that for myself today. I have my emergency fund, but I'm so used to doing this weekly automatic sweep from my checking to my savings account. I don't know why I would stop. And when the account gets big enough, I take extra money. I invest the money in the market or whatever the appropriate investment is for somebody. So the key to that is start it, keep it simple, make it automatic, make sure the the funds are liquid. Okay. Um, 
if, if you're really good at this, you can start thinking about places you can earn a higher rate of interest because we don't want to take this money in your emergency fund and get it locked up into some investment or some investment that potentially needs a longer time horizon. And what I mean by that is if, if you have your emergency account funded, you probably don't want to go invest that into the stock market today because we don't really know what the market's going to do over the next six, 12, two years. We need a little bit longer time horizon, but there are a lot of really good high yield savings accounts out there, either at your local bank, credit union or online that you can go allocate those dollars and make this emergency account a very systematic way to start to start saving. Um, the other thing that's really good for people to do is, you know, we all get raises and you brought this idea about two years ago to me and it's called save more tomorrow. I want you to talk about that and how somebody could take that idea and implement it into just building their savings account. And once that's done, how do they take that idea and then you can implement it into the investment process too? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the fact that you mentioned your uh, your successful financial behavior is automatic and that is taking money from your checking account and having that sweeped over to your savings account. Um, I couldn't picture Roger writing a checkout every time to do that. The, <laughs> but the would. most successful things are, are automatic, right? And uh, that's why if you look at the balances in 401ks, that's why the balances are so great right now because uh, the, they've made that savings in a 401k, that feature of it being automatic for people and people just going about their daily lives and uh, being able to just save money. That's, that's where this comes in into an emergency fund to where um, if you look at the, uh, the concept of uh, there's a strategy out there called Save More Tomorrow, uh, that uh, people kind of uh, take advantage of, and I think a lot more people should take advantage of. And that, that's simply, Roger, back to the 401k. If I'm a young person, or let's say I'm a, a middle-aged person recovering from a disaster, maybe a divorce or something, I want to rebuild my financial uh, picture. I go to my payroll person or I send an email um, out, and uh, I simply say I want to get in to what they call an, an automatic, uh, a lot of the smart guys and gals call it automatic escalation. And all that means is that you put a percent in your 401k. And again, some people look at 401ks as an emergency fund, but um, yeah, that we can talk about that in, a, in another show. But uh, what Save More Tomorrow is, is uh, if you're expecting, you still have a job, you're expecting a pay raise at some month, next year, right around the same month, that you tell your payroll person that you would automatically increase your contributions by 1%. And again, back to that successful financial behavior, if it's automatic, it's usually very, very successful. Yeah, so the spin on the Save More Tomorrow, it's designed, you're right, it's designed for the 401k, but you can use that idea in your emergency fund because when you get the raise, instead of taking the 4% raise and spending it, you say, well, what's the 1%? It's $30 a week, allocate that to your emergency fund and really ramp that thing up. But it's a really good technique because if the faster you can get there, the faster you can start working on all the other things that really help you start to build your wealth and get you financially successful. Um, this should really be the baseline of, hey, this emergency fund is here for things like a COVID crisis when we lose our job. Um, so I think it's a really important to have a really, really good emergency fund put in place. And that leads us to the second uh, 
the second thing we've learned from COVID-19 is that you should really keep your debt in check, right? Um, Americans over the last 10 years, we've borrowed more and borrowed more and borrowed more. Now we're seeing since COVID is our savings rates are going up. And it's probably due to a couple of things, right? Probably due to there's nothing to do. There's no place to spend money. <laughs> no place to spend money. <laughs> but also people are more conscious and they're saying, hey, look, my neighbor lost their job. Maybe I should be a little bit more fiscally responsible. And if you're and what I've seen is people who are fortunate to have jobs and that were carrying debt are trying to bring that balance down to get to a point where they're not as concerned about the next crisis. It always takes a crisis to realize that maybe you have a personal financial crisis. And for people who didn't lose their job, maybe this is their get out of jail free card to say, hey, maybe I need to be more fiscally responsible. Um, you know, it's amazing, but the average credit card debt in America is $5,700. I mean, people are revolving $5,700 every single month in credit card debt. That doesn't include like, personal mortgages, personal loans, personal debt in addition to the mortgage and credit card is almost $38,000. So people are carrying $43,000 of consumer debt. That's that's a lot of debt for most people in America. It's probably a pretty big chunk of everybody's check. Um, and really, the more you're in debt, it's the killer of your financial dreams. And, and think about this, if you keep your debt in check, let's say you lost your job, right? And you had your emergency fund, you're six months and you still don't have your job back and you blew through your emergency fund. Well, it's not ideal, but if we've kept our debt in check, now we have the ability to go access our credit, which in my opinion, credit's there for the backup to the emergency fund, right? This is the last case resort is to start going and getting credit. Um, but if you spend all your credit <laughs> before you needed it on, you know, foolish things, and I shouldn't say foolish, but non-necessities in life, you could really be putting yourself in a financial dilemma long-term if something like this happens. Well, you look at, we're small business owners, and if it wasn't for credit, we wouldn't be here, right? So all the small business owners that are listening, they really, you have to have a good uh, handle on credit, a really good relationship um, on credit. And there's there's good credit and bad credit. But I, I'm just amazed the fact that uh, we have new people coming in all the time and we have to go through all their confidential uh, personal financial information. And I'm amazed about the, the people that I meet that have done a good job saving money in their 401ks and then they still have a credit card balance. And it's almost like uh, back to uh, uh, people say that they're going to eat healthy, but then they they go uh, they go and 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 eat a king size Snickers um, after a workout. So you know we help people, and you know this is this is common knowledge. Even even Warren Buffett, uh, he he received a phone call from a family friend that came into some money, and he asked the lady. He said, "Do you have any credit card debt?" And she said, "Yeah." And he said, "Pay that off first because." It's going to be pretty difficult to make 18% on a regular basis on any investment. <laughs> Virtually impossible. Yeah, that's the that's the, the that's arguably the world's greatest uh, investor saying that. But uh, yeah, the, so the, to keep the debt in check, we, you know, we we like people, and again, not to close their credit cards, but to just pay them off yeah. at the end of the month. And if you look at a really good financial plan, all we're doing, Roger, is we're covering the four bases, and that's the SSDC, and that's the savings, that's the spending, that's the debt, and that's the credit. If all of those four things are working together, kind of like a recipe 
uh, and kind of like a, a, a macaroni and cheese meal. If all those four things are very, very good and working together, then, then you're going to have a very good working financial plan. But if you, if you try to make a good mac and cheese meal, um, but you don't heat it up because the microwave's not working, then that's, that's kind of like having a big credit card in your financial plan. It's just not going to be, the end result isn't going to be good. That's actually a great analogy. My microwave actually broke this morning. <laughs> and my wife goes, what are we going to do? I said, well, we have like microwave. A stove. We can cook on the stove. <laughs> um, so that's a good analogy for me today. Um, uh, you know, debt increases your fixed obligations too. I think that's something people don't realize. Every every debt payment that you have is a dollar you can't allocate somewhere else, um, meaning to an investment or your financial future, or you getting the, to the goal that you want to have. Um, another thing that we kind of ran by with this whole COVID thing is if you have a mortgage or you have student loans, there's a chance that you can apply for fair fair forbearance if you need it. I caution people on this because it's not a, I don't have to pay, it's I'm gonna delay paying, right? If you can afford to pay your mortgage or your student loans, you should go about it just like you've always done. Don't just not pay it because you get an opportunity not to pay it, you're paying it back at, at some point in time. That goes with credit card companies too, right? If you have credit cards, a lot of the companies, oh, well, we'll delay your payment or waive, you know, your late fee or whatever it is. If you don't want to pay, you should just keep paying and try to knock out that debt as soon as you can after you have that emergency fund fully established and free up this credit. It'll kind of give you a sense of, you know, freedom that we're through all of this. Uh, and it gives you options if things happen in the future. Um, one of the, the key things to look at when you're looking at your debt is how to manage kind of your debt to income ratio. It's a ratio they use when you buy a house, right? So you, you mm -hmm. go buy a house and the number used to be a lot lower, but let's just use a round number of 40%. So if your monthly check is $5,000 coming in, we better have debt obligations less than 2000 bucks, right? Um, that includes mortgage and all the other things. So, you know, really concentrate on that. And if you don't, have your debt in check. There's two ways we talk about people getting their debt in check or paying off their debt. And there's two ways to do it. It's the debt snowball, and the debt avalanche. Have you ever heard of either of these, Jonas? I have a little bit, but uh, why don't you? Uh, All right. Go so over the me? debt snowball is probably the most popular one out there. And it's really just the idea of listing your assets or uh, your debts from smallest to largest and paying off the smallest ones first and then applying those payments to the next debt that's smaller because you're escalating the payment. For example, you have a credit card with $1,000 and a $29 payment. Well, you pay it off, well, that's $29 you can apply to the next card and it just operates like a snowball. And that works well because psychologically, people get the emotional satisfaction of an accomplishment, right? Oh man, I paid that off, that feels good. Even though maybe it maybe doesn't make the most financial sense, it feels good. And we'll get into this at a different different show. Uh, and you can go to our website, which is btwellshow.com, and we have all this information out there for you guys to check out. Uh, but the second way is the debt avalanche, and people are less familiar with this. But this is the way that would resonate really well with that person who's a very mathematical-oriented person. Uh, because what this is is paying off the highest interest rate first. So 
arguably it's more effective from a mathematical and financial standpoint, but maybe not as effective from an emotional standpoint, because it may take you a lot longer to pay off your first, um, your first step. But if you want information on that, go to the website, btwellshow.com. We have all the information there and we'll be doing another show on those debt strategies. But, but if your debt's not in check, let's create a strategy to get you out of debt. Um, if, if you look at the, the difference um, in uh, the rewards of uh, a credit rating um, and having having debt if you're not a homeowner and having debt if you are a homeowner, the, the opportunities that homeowners have versus the non-homeowners, especially when it comes to credit cards, Roger, you know, we talked about interest rates and we're going to talk about interest rates on another show. Um, a, a real quick way to, uh, to eliminate or reduce high interest debt is to do what they call a home equity line of credit right now. Um, and with the way that the rates are so low, um, we'll meet new people and we'll go over a financial plan with them. And that'll be the first way that we actually um, get rid of their high interest debt, maybe their student loan debt uh, that they've had in the past or credit card debt. Assuming they can't about. write that check. Assuming and pay that, that they can't off. write right, that right. check. Because yep. what, what you're really doing is just swapping 18% yeah. for three, four, five. Yeah. yeah. Which makes a ton of financial sense. Right. But the, the status of owning a home, I mean, even getting into a home, um, your credit is is almost looked upon as a lot better than the non-homeowners of the world. And you have some more advantages too at that point. Absolutely. All right, Jonah. So the third uh, thing that we've taken away from the COVID-19 is uh, stay the course. Let's not make financial decisions out of fear. Um, you know, fear is a normal emotion right now during the, the COVID crisis and what's going on. This is the the feeling of being anxious and concerned and worried and all those different things of not knowing what's going to happen and not knowing how long this is going to be with us. I mean, like you, you said, we've never been through anything like this before. So we have no idea. Is this a six month thing? Is it a nine month thing? Is it a forever thing? So let's not make our financial decisions based upon fear as humans loss aversion. Uh, we feel the, pain of loss much more than we feel the benefits of gain. Um, so that makes us panic, right? To make these emotional decisions. And the more we can remove emotional decisions from our process, the better off we're, we're going to be. And what's the number one way you think, Jonas, we can remove the human emotion from our decision-making process? Well, if you have a very good personal financial plan or personal financial strategy, uh, that's going to help a lot because you can always refer back to what your financial plan says. And I, I really like uh, the, the comment or the quote that uh, Jack Bogle, the late uh, great founder of Vanguard said during times of crisis is, you know, he would tell his customers, the, the other, you've heard of the old saying, don't just stand there, do something. Uh, he told his customers, don't just do something, stand there. You know, the best thing to do is uh, nothing. Yeah, to, is nothing to, to have a good plan in, in place and to actually do nothing. You know, don't check your most successful customers like you talked about, Roger. They control their frequency of when they check their portfolio values. And number one thing is if you trust your portfolio, 
you're not going to check it during times of crises. And really, if you don't need all the money all at once, anyways, you shouldn't you shouldn't check it that much. Well, yeah, that's it's really good because panic can really lead to people taking losses that don't need to be taken. And what I mean by that is, you know, truthfully, in, in the investing game, you've never really made or lost money until the day that you sell. Right? You have a day you buy and a day you sell. Everything in between. It's only relevant on paper, and we were talking about this in a break. And, hey, we bought X here at this cost, and we sold it. We're talking about what we missed out on. Well, we know we didn't miss out on anything. We took our gain, our loss at this right. dollar amount. So don't panic because something's down. And the people who've done a good job of not panicking are typically people who have a very well-crafted financial plan. They know what their goals are. They know what their desires are. They know that they're in the right portfolio. And, and I found this throughout my years is that the more education people have, the better they actually feel about the investments they own because there's a purpose and a process behind it. People that I've worked with that don't have a, pur a, a purpose or a process behind it are the ones who tend to panic and get very emotional about the swings in the market or the political landscape or all these different things that are happening because they don't know why they own the investments that they own. So let's stay the course. I mean, think back to 2008, 2009, even balanced portfolios. So 50% stock, 50% bond portfolios were down almost 30% in value. If those people did what Jack Bogle would tell them to do, what happened? They would have been fine ah! now. <laughs> they let it work out. Yeah. They let the markets do what markets do. Um, so investors who went to bonds at that time they literally just locked in their loss at the bottom of the market. And I talk to people all the time. Well, in 2008, we went to bonds. Well, once you're out of the market, it's probably arguably one of the hardest things to do is to actually get back in the market, right? We have a guy in our office who said this for a long time. You're either in or you're out. It's not each because if you sell your investment, when are you going to buy it back to get back in the market? I don't know. Right? If it goes down another 1,000 points of market, are you going to get back in? Probably not. If it goes up 2,000, are you going to get back in? Probably not. You're just stuck in this kind of paralyzed state where you don't know what to do. And that's why what you just said re earlier is having the financial plan provides the guidance and the purpose for what the investment should be. Um, I mean, the, in the, the investors who panicked and sold equities, even in this COVID, they locked in their 30% plus loss for really no reason other than they didn't know what the outcome was. Well, historically, what have markets done in the last 80 years? Historically, they're up 72% of the time. So If you look back over 80 years, find a bad day to invest. There wasn't, they were all good right. days, right? Now, in the short term, they could have been bad days, but in the long term, they've all been very, very good times to invest. Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. We're talking about people here and their money, right? And there's a lot of emotions involved. I'm trying to help a family friend. And you, you mentioned it's a lot harder to help people that have been out of this market than the ones that have been in this market. I totally agree with that. I'm trying to help a family friend. And he got out, um, and he's not even near retirement age. He's 15 years away from retirement age. He got out uh, in 2009. Um, and he hasn't been back in the market, and it's extremely difficult uh, to try to help uh, that person. But uh, I think the name of the game, if you have a financial plan, if you have a good investment fiduciary that you're working with, 
Um, there's an old saying in our office, you can cancel a transaction, but you can't cancel a relationship. The relationship really rises to the surface of who's helping you with your finances, especially during times of uh, crisis. And uh, we talk about uh, one of the things we do for the financial plan, Roger, is focus on the things in the world that we can control at the time. Yeah, I mean, you, you actually taught me this. You've been doing this about 10 years longer than I have. But, you know, what are the things we can control? What can't we can control? And just focus on those in our kind of sphere of confidence, right? What can we control? We can control our asset allocation. We can control our spending. We can control... Uh, how frequently we monitor our investments. We can control our financial plan. What can we control? What the market does, what our jobs do. So all the things we Who can't control. Elected. Yeah, <laughs> that's coming in a future episode. Right. But we can't control any of that stuff. So why focus on? I talk with my wife about this a lot. Like, let's only focus on what we have the ability to change and not worry about the rest. Um, once you kind of stop worrying about the things you can't control in your finances, I feel like you just... this. This cloud's kind of lifted. There's more clarity. You have a better sense of financial direction um, as to kind of where we're going. And we put together this chart, which if you're listening to some of the podcasts, you can't see. But some of the things we can control, how long we can't control, how long the pandemic lasts. We can't control the stock market. I can't control my job. Can't control the virus, clearly. I mean, we've all heard this. The virus will dictate the timeline. It's actually true. Um, what can we can control, though? emergency fund, how much we spend, how much debt we have, our allocation, having a plan. So um, if you don't have any of these things or you're looking for help, you can go to the website, btwealthshow.com, um, and we can help you get the tools to start building your own financial plan, okay? Um, the last thing we've learned is that financial plans are important for everybody, not just the wealthy. Absolutely. You know, and uh, we look at the... Uh the statistics as financial advisors, we always want to work on these. It's kind of like uh, wanting to lose weight or having some personal uh, health goals. But the fact that, uh, you know, very there's very limited percent of Americans have written financial plans in place. That's just uh, really aggravating to me, Roger. And I know that we're trying to always uh, maybe take on the, the financial world and increase this number. But 31% of millennials have uh, written financial plans. They're free on the internet. They're, fr they're free. Uh, you, could, you could get a calculator anywhere. They're free. I mean, again, back to trying to act like an economic adult versus acting like an economic teenager. If you're in a position to where you have a decent job, you owe it to yourself to get a financial plan. There's no reason not to. For me and the Everett family, I have to have a financial strategy in place because my spouse is the most non-financial person on the planet. <laughs> she has no interest in this stuff whatsoever. So upon my demise, something have to, has to be automatic and it has to be simple and it has to be a workable financial plan uh, even after I'm gone. And that's where I jump down and I'm looking at the, the baby boom generation. The fact that they've done the best job uh, next to their parents uh, saving money, the second best job, I would say, and only uh, two out of 10 have a written financial plan. I actually, when I saw the statistic on the screen there, more millennials have financial plans than baby boomers. And boomers are the one who really need, I mean, don't get me wrong, everybody needs a plan. 
But when you hit that distribution phase of life, you better have a plan, right? Because if you don't, it could be scary. And a lot of people's plan is, well, I'll just spend my RMD. Well, you know, if you, if you spend your required minimum distribution every year, you're going to go broke. It's a fact because the, the amount you have to take goes up every single year. So that's actually shocking me, Jonas, that more millennials have done a plan than baby boomers who are actually starting to spend the money. Right. And maybe that's the adaptation of technology because, like you said, there is so much technology available for you to go get some of this stuff done that maybe millennials are embracing this and you know what we're saying is getting through to those people. Right, right. I, I just don't get it. Even before technology or a lot of the technology, if you went on a family vacation, you remember it's, you remember your parents had a Rand McNally roadmap. You know, sometimes it took you eight extra hours to get across Texas, but you got from <laughs> point A to point B. Now what does everybody have on their smartphone, Roger? They got the map car? right there. They have a GPS right there. That's all a financial plan is. Well, and what's interesting is of those people who don't have a plan, 45% said it's because they don't think they have enough money. Well, that's like going on vacation and planning the trip once you're there, right? You plan the trip before you get on the vacation. So the reality is the people that don't have money probably need to plan more than those who've got to the point where they would consider themselves financially independent. And part of it's they're probably learning the skills they need to get to that financial financially independent stage of life, but I, I can't believe that um, people don't do a plan because they don't think they have money. I, I don't know how you'd ever think you're going to get money without putting some kind of plan together. It doesn't just right show up. Um, and that's where our inspiration comes in too, because if you don't want to do it yourself, I mean, let somebody do it for you. I mean, back to one episode we talked about uh, where uh, uh, one of your friends is going to try to fix their car. Would he be better off to take that to a mechanic that he trusts and then maybe working some extra hours or spending that time with his kids versus automatically trying to become a, 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 an auto, automotive expert um, in 15 minutes? I mean, we do this every day. I'm not going to do my own wills. Um, I have a, a my, our oldest kid uh, has some special needs. I'm not gonna write up a special needs amendment in my will on my own. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, I could, I could probably research it, uh, but how am I going to, how am I going to carve out a, a special needs trust and do that on myself? I don't, I don't even, I don't want to do my own taxes. Um, that's something that uh, uh, my CPA is good at. They do every day. Uh, this is what we're good at. This is what we do every day. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, when I tried to do the things out of what I call my sphere of confidence, it typically ends up costing me more because I end up hiring the person anyway. So that that's very real in my world. I'm, I'm delegating as much of that process as I possibly can to somebody else. Um, one, what are some of the things that the financial plan can help you determine? Right. And let's talk about these. because These are important, but can help you determine how much you need an emergency fund. Number one. Number two, it, the financial plan can be a plan to eliminate your debt. You know, we, we deal with a lot of people's financial plan who's all about, OK, I'm at retirement. What's the spending plan? But that doesn't have to be the only part of the plan. You can really break this out into like mini plans almost. It could be, hey, I'm trying to save for my kids college. Well, great. Let's put together this mini plan to get you there to reach this huge financial goal we have of retirement at some point in our life. And 
I say this in almost every single meeting, that financial plan helps you make fact-based decisions versus opinion-based decisions. And we're removing those two major human components of failure in investing, F greed and fear. Like if we make decisions based off numerical values, no longer is greed or fear any part of that. We're removing the emotion from that process. So um, those are some of the really key things that we can get from that financial plan. So let's kind of stop. Let's just kind of end the show and talk a little bit about how to reset if you've been impacted by COVID-19 financially. What's the number one thing people can do, Jonas, to, to kind of get back on their feet if they've been impacted by this? I'd say slow down, stay calm, um, and uh, try to figure out uh, a personal financial strategy, kind of like what we talked about. And Roger, we deal with uh, uh, divorced people each year, people that, that get divorced. And uh, boy, is that a, a, a tragic situation also, where every, you know, the, the lawyers want to split the assets up in half and they, you know, they want to they wanna get it, it done and uh, they're they're not worried about the Im the 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 impact of financially of the future of the individual um, at all. So one of the things that, that you can do is just get educated about this. Uh, if you did lose your job or if you are piling up bills, there's some resources uh, um, out there. You need to get educated on the unemployment benefits, all the all the incentives and all the benefits that are available through the government right now. You should uh, you should have those at your disposal disposal to try to help you out of this. Yeah, I think those are all great plans. And probably the final takeaway is if you don't have a plan, put one together. Um, you know, we provided a lot of information in this one. Once again, if if you have a question you want us to answer on this show, go to bt uh, btwellshow.com. Uh, or if you want to start working on your financial plan, we've got a couple options there. We have the tools and calculators you need to kind of start to build your own plan. But if you want the help of a planner, go out there. We have uh, the ability to schedule a, a consultation with us. We don't charge anything for that initial consultation. Um, and start putting yourself on the right financial track uh, with some of the principles that we're talking about here. So uh, for everybody here at Behind the Wealth, appreciate you today. Thanks for being on the show, Jonas. And, Thank you, um, Roger. Look forward to the next episode. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA SIPIC. The opinions voiced in this show are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. All performance referenced is historical and is not a guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Premier Investments of Iowa Incorporated and LPL Financial do not provide tax advice. Please consult your tax professional.